This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Um, good morning, guys. My name is Jeff Heiser. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. It's so good to be worshiping with you guys today. Uh, we've had quite a week, haven't we? Tropical storm, e- storm Isaias and all that, power out, water out. But we're back. We're together. This is great to worship God together with you guys. Um, today we're going to be in Psalm 139. Um, you can find it there in your bulletins or, of course, uh, in your Bibles if you have them. I encourage you to pull them out and turn there in your actual Bible if you have it. Um, how do you guys read your Bible? Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time throughout my life trying to figure out the proper way to read my Bible, and kind of on the two extremes. On, uh, on one side, I've, I've done the thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to read two verses, and I'm going to just sit on those two verses and meditate on them for 30 minutes or so, and then tomorrow I'm going to read another two verses, and like just two verses a day so I can really get it. And I don't know if you guys know the expression, like, missing the forest for the trees, like, that's kind of what's going on where I, like, go so slow that you get to the end of a book and you're like, I have no idea what that book is about. I know, like, something, but I, I really don't know what's going on because you go too slow, right? Well, the other, so the other extreme would be missing the trees for the forest, right? You're reading the, through the Bible in a year. You're reading, like, 15 chapters a day. You get to the end and you're like, well, I have some general, so I did it, but I don't necessarily have much depth. I don't necessarily know, like, what is going on in, like, in deep in my Bible, right? So those are your two extremes, kind of two um, different sides of di- different ways of reading your Bible. Now, Psalm 139 is, is a psalm that is prone to be misread, either on the one side, the trees, right, getting too much into the details, or on the other side, the forest, not focusing on the details, only getting the big picture. And I think maybe it's just because David is a, an artist and a poet, and the way that he can convey things with words, it's just really important in this psalm that we get both the forest and the trees. Because if we don't, we're going to miss out on the real depth and beauty of this psalm. Now, for you note takers, that is my outline, the forest and the trees, okay? The forests and the trees. And we're going to try and get both of them so we can unpack this psalm uh, fully together. Now, some of you um, will know this psalm. Some of you almost certainly will. And if you do, my guess is that you've probably focused primarily on the forest, the big picture. And so as we read it together this morning, I want us to just, like, just be mentally prepared, like focus on the details, focus on the small things, figure out what's really going on in David's heart, if you can, while we read it. So if you're willing and able, please stand with me out of reverence to God's Word. We're going to be reading Psalm 139, all 24 verses of it. Um, And I'm going to, so uh, Psalm 139, starting there in verse 1. Hear now the reading of God's Word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search up my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and night about, the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, and you, knit me to, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there, were, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's good word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. Please be seated. Okay, let's, we're going to start, as I said, by looking at, we're going to start by looking at the trees. What are the details of the psalm? What's really going on? Um, I don't know if you guys know the song. I'm sure you've heard it, but the song, She's Always a Woman by Billy Joel. Do you guys know this song? It's like 80s pop, it's 80s, right? Garcia's 80s pop music at its finest, like Billy Joel, She's Only a Woman. And it's this love song, but you can kind of, if you really focus on the lyrics, you realize he's really wrestling with this, her virtues and her vices, right? He's, he loves her, but there's definitely some complexity to her quirks and her maybe some, um, some, <laughs> some uh, vices there. And there's this line in the chorus that I think is like so good. And this is what he says. He says, um, oh, she never gives out and she never gives in. She just changes her mind. Okay, so what he's saying is, you know, kind of from her, her perspective, if you can imagine, he, he's saying, like, she never, she's never wrong in an argument. There's just times where she comes to the end of an argument and she changes her mind. But she wasn't wrong, right? You see what's going on there? It's kind of a, it's, I, just, I just absolutely love that because it, I mean, it definitely describes a lot of my interactions in this, you know, moment of argument. Or, I mean, it, it describes so many of us so well. Like, we don't really like being wrong. We like being right. And we wish that we kind of knew everything and we didn't ever have to admit that we were wrong. And in fact, even the idea of like, oh, I just changed my mind. That's a saying like, oh, actually, I, I actually continue to know everything, right, as, it, as we go. And I don't know. Some, some of us maybe had, um, have had friends or um, maybe fathers that struggled to apologize for things. And like, that's what's going on. It's like, we want to know everything, and it kills us to admit that we don't. But the bottom line is, that's impossible. We're human beings. We, like, we can't know everything. Of course we can't. But here's the thing. God does. God knows everything, he's everywhere, and he is fully and totally in charge, okay? Look, in, look with me at verse, um, verse 2 there. 
It says, you know, speaking about God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. David is fully just laid bare before God. He's saying, God knows everything on my outside, right? He knows what I do when I sit, when I rise up, but he also knows everything on the inside. You discern my thoughts. Like, you know my outs, like what I'm doing, but also what I'm thinking, my emotions, my desires. I, you know it all. You know everything about me. That's not all. Look at, um, turn down to verse 9. It says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. The wings of the morning is a poetic expression for um, like the sun rising up in the east. It's the east, right, where the sun comes up. And then he says, uh, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. If you're in Israel, the sea is to the west. So he's saying, if I go all the way to the east, if I go all the way to the west, in, in verse 8, he ta- if I go to heaven, if I go to hell, it doesn't matter. Like everywhere, God is everywhere. God's presence is everywhere. He doesn't just know everything. He is everywhere. And sometimes um, we think of God's presence. We say, oh yeah, God's everywhere. And we think of it kind of like air or gas or something like that, right? It's just kind of It's just kind of everywhere. But the word, if you look at verse 7 where it says, um, where can I flee from your presence? Like that word presence, if you, the the Hebrew word that's used there, if you you, uh, figured out where else that word is used in in the Old Testament, it's most often translated face. So what he's saying is, where can I go from your face? Do you see the connotations there? It's not just that there's like some of God everywhere. It's that there's all of God everywhere everywhere. Like his, like the most intense, like his presence is like everywhere. This is not like, oh, you know, God's like in the room, but I can kind of scoot behind him when he's not looking and get away with things. Like, no, God's face is everywhere. You cannot get away from it. He's everywhere fully. Um, Look at verse 13, continuing on. Um, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He's not just everywhere. He's not just in charge. It's, or sorry, he's not, uh, he's not just everywhere. He doesn't just know everything. He is in charge. A commentator talked about these few verses here, starting in verse 13, saying that God is all creative. The inward parts that we're talking about there in verse 13 are referring to David's soul. He's saying, God, you created my soul. And when he talks about being knit together in his mother's womb, he's talking about his body. He's saying, my, my, like, my spirit, my soul, my spirit, my body, everything about me was created fully and totally by you, God. He even says um, in, that God has determined the number of days that David will live. There in verse um, 16, I believe. Do you know what that means? It means that it's not just that God has created you. It, it's that he determines your history, your story, your life. Like he knows when you'll die to the minute, to the second. He knows everything. Now, there, is there anything in our, in, our, in our world that could be possibly more offensive than to say, like, you have absolutely no ability to create yourself. 
Because we live in a world where, like, we get our identity through self-creation. You know, we, it's, we get our identity through, like, sexual expression or social action or um, our jobs. Or, like, we can make ourselves who we want to be, we think, right? And that's why social media is so, like, ah, so addicting. Because it's this platform that says you can be whoever you want to be. You can create yourself. You can make yourself. You can manicure your identity any way that you want. And David says, absolutely not. God is the only one who creates. God is the only one who determines who you are. God is in charge. Now think about those details for a sec. What David is like, he's reflecting on God's everywhere. God is, he knows everything. He's in fully and totally in charge. Reflect on that. Like, you are fully and totally known by God. Like, fully known by God. Fully. Everything. He knows absolutely everything. Think about that. If you do, like, it should be a little bit terrifying, a, a little bit scary to be known that much and that well. And this is why. Um, Francis Schaeffer, uh, he's a, um, a thinker and pastor um, from the 20th century. Um, he, he, he used this analogy. He would say, imagine that your whole, life, uh, your whole life you lived with a tape recorder around your neck. And, and it recorded everything that we said throughout our whole lives. And so it recorded every time that we told other people what they ought to do. Right? It would, every standard that we set, it would record. So if we, um, you know, if we're gossiping about someone, oh, they're so, you know, I, I can't believe how angry they get, or so we're gossiping about people's anger, or, we're, you know, whatever it is, all of those standards that we set for other people, that's recorded. And at the end of time, when, um, you know, we're standing there on judgment day, God sends an angel over, and he, you know, takes the lanyard off your neck, and then he just hits play, and every single standard that we set for other people throughout our lives, that is what God would use to judge us. Now, if you've ever driven on the road, you know that that is a terrifying prospect. I mean, we, like, we, we constantly do not live up to the standards that we expect for other people. And what Francis Schaeffer is saying is, is that you are way worse than you are willing to admit that you are. Like, you are way worse way worse. And guess what? God fully knows it. Look at verse 4. He says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know, I didn't know how self-centered of a person I was until I had children. And as I realized as this like self-centeredness started to come out, I realized, hang on, I have like anger that I don't real I didn't realize that I had. Like there are mo- there will be moments throughout our lives where we say, "Oh my goodness, I did not know that I had that in me," and God will say, "I already knew that. Yes, I know it all. I know everything." Before we realize it, before we realize our issues. He knows. Before anyone else realizes it, He knows. We are fully and totally known by this God whose faith, whose presence is everywhere. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Like, 
There's nothing about us that is not known by God. And when we take an honest look at ourselves, that's a terrifying prospect. And it actually is for David. Like this is maybe not what we expected when we were first reading this psalm. Look, Look at verse 5. He says, you hem me in behind and before. You know that feeling like this happens to me when I'm, if I'm feeling anxious or something, like I just have to, like there's nothing that will motivate me to like work out during the middle of the day like anxiety. Like I just got to get out of the house and move, you know? And David's like, there's nowhere to go though. Like God is everywhere. Like I can't get away. Or um, verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. That sounds like a positive, right? But if you get into the Hebrew, what he's saying is, I can't handle it. Like, I can't, like, there, it's, it's too much for me. That's what he's saying. It's too much for me. And of course, what then is his response? Well, he wants to run away. Verse 7, where will I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? But he cannot get away. Because how in the world do you escape an inescapable God. You absolutely cannot. But let's, let's bring this home. What, what this means, what this means is that it's, it's not actually enough for us to have a reputation as, like a, as a pretty good person. Like if everyone else thinks we're great, that's actually not enough because God doesn't see the way that we see He knows things that we don't know. He knows things that no one else knows except you, and he knows things that even you don't know. And what that means is that it's actually not enough to feel like you've gotten a pretty good handle on your issues because God knows things about you that you don't even know. He knows things about you that at some point you will discover in shock. What? I'm like that? And God's like, yeah, you've always been like that, and I've known about it. There's no escape. Like, you are fully and totally known by this God. He's everywhere. That should be a little bit unsettling. (laughs) Should be a little unsettling for all of us because we all know that there's some darkness in our hearts. Okay, so that's kind of the details. Maybe details that we didn't expect. I mean, I, I think that when I first... I mean, we probably just now, right? We're reading the psalm. We maybe know this psalm, and we're thinking, that is such a positive, encouraging psalm of joy and comfort. It's wonderful. But we get into the details, and we realize, hang on, like, there's some hard truths here. But the truth is, it actually is a joyful and comforting psalm. Like, that is, that's the mood of the psalm, right? I mean, even though there's some, like, hard things, it's, like, you can't read it without saying, man, wow, like, David is clearly enthralled with God. Where does that mood come from, that mood of joy and comfort? Well, one of the things that we see through the psalm is David is kind of on a journey. He's kind of on a journey um, throughout the psalm, and it's a journey of moving from, like, fear at being fully known to joy and comfort at being fully known. You see, the only way for total, the total presence of God to not be absolutely terrifying to us is for us to know and believe that that totalizing presence is a presence that is defined by love, primarily by love. And I think that David begins to see that throughout the psalm, and, and, and even as he's written, written this psalm, probably after this kind of journey of experience, he's, he's reflecting and saying, whoa, I, actually, 
God's presence is really comforting to me. And I think it begins there in verse 11 and 12. You see where he says, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You know, um, darkness in the Psalms is not usually referring to, like, like the lack of light. It's, it's symbolism. It's symbolism for um, suffering or, or pain or depression, like the darkness of life. And David is realizing that in, in those dark moments, he's saying, wait, God's presence isn't a presence, like it's not vindictive. It's loving. It's, it's, a, it's a presence of love. It's, it's bringing light to the darkness, relief to the pain. And I mean, it, it feels kind of like Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? Your, it, it, this is God's, God's presence is a presence of protection and care and love. David's realizing that although he's fully known by God, he's actually fully loved by God. And thus, that full knowledge is not terrifying, it's comforting. And so, he writes this psalm that is, is, so, is full of praise. To be fully known and fully loved, is that not actually what we want? Isn't it what we want our friends or our spouses, like just to, to be able, just to be laid bare before them and to still, for them to still love us and accept us? Isn't that what we want, to be fully known and fully loved? And David says, that's who this God is, this God who knows everything, who's everywhere, who's totally in charge. All of those things about him are, are, um, flow out of his love for us, his children. Tim Keller, um, reflecting on this psalm, he said, you know, I think verse 18 is the climax of the psalm. Um, look down there. Actually, I'm going to read verses 17 and 18, but I want us to focus on the second half of verse 18. He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. I awake, and I am still with you. Now, David wrote many of the Psalms, as we know. Um, and one of the Psalms, Psalm 17, is going to actually help us understand this little phrase a little bit. In Psalm 17, he says, When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Now, David is in that moment, and he's not talking about waking up from a good night's sleep. He's talking about waking from death. He's talking about the other other side, right? And in fact, I think that that understanding of Psalm 18 um, actually fits in the context of our passage today as well, because if you, back in verse, um, verses 13 and 14, right, he's talking about even in, um, in my mother's womb, like even before my birth, you were with me. And then he's talking about the, the days of my life, they're all mapped out. And then at the end, he's, when, when it comes to death itself, even there, God is with me. God is there. He is always present, always knowing, always loving. Even in death, even on the other side of death, God is present. This is the totalizing presence of God. There's this story in Mark chapter 5, and Ronnie actually preached on it this spring. This beautiful story. 
And um, it's about a man and his daughter. And um, his little daughter has gotten sick and has died. And Jesus is on his way to her house, and, 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 and they receive news that she has died. And Jesus arrives at the house, and he goes up into her room where she's lying there on the bed. And in the, just this wonderful moment of tenderness, Jesus takes her hand, and he says, little girl, get up. And Jesus pulls that little girl out of death back into life. And I think that is what David is capturing in this psalm. He's saying, when, like, de- death of, is like so lonely, it is so final, right? And yet David says, when I die, it will be God himself who takes my hand and pulls me out of death back into life. That is the presence of a God who knows everything about us and yet fully loves us. That it will be his face who we see. His face is his presence that will be with us even in that moment. That is how David can pray. He can write a psalm of such praise and joy and comfort, even in a, the, a truth that is at times a little bit unsettling because he knows that God, although he knows him, he loves him and he will be with him. Now, um, I want to wrap up here, but I, want, I don't want to skip over the difficult verses of this psalm, which are particularly verses 19 through 22. Um, I'm not going to read them again, um, but what's happening there, I'm sure they struck you as we were reading them, because it's a lot of talk about hatred and, you know, blood and these things, and David is like calling down destruction on God's enemies. Now, commentators seem to agree that David isn't, like, this isn't out of a vindictive or spiteful spirit that David is saying these things. It's actually a zeal for God. He's like, he's, he's considered, he, after he, now that he's considered the wonder of who God is and like, like the beauty of it, he's like, I want everything that is in contradiction to that to be wiped out because it doesn't make sense in this world of the presence of God where God is everywhere. And so he says, God, wipe them out. Now, where's the love in that? Where's the love in God wiping out his enemies? Well, you know, a thousand years later, um, David would have a descendant by the name of Jesus Christ who would die on the cross for the enemies of God. And listen, judgment is a real thing. It is not like sin has no place in a world where God's presence is, ever, is completely all-consuming and totalizing it everywhere. It has no place and David is like fully justified in calling like for God's holy wrath to be just laid on the backs of God's enemies. It's like that is a real thing. But in the New Testament, what you have is that Jesus Christ takes God's wrath and he puts it on his own back so that the enemies of God would not experience that wrath but would become God's children. Like he, Jesus fully knew that he was doing it for people 
that hated him. Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive the people that are crucifying me. God, he fully knew who he was doing it for, who he was dying for. He fully knew their character. He knew them. And yet, because he fully loved them so much, he was absolutely and totally willing to do it. You see, Jesus' death, it opens the door. It opens the door for the enemies of God to become his children. So the judgment of God would not fall on them, but that his presence would be not one of terror, but one of joy and comfort and love. Tim Keller, again, he says that about this psalm, he says, there is an edgy comfort in the presence of God for the children of God. Edgy because it's still a little bit unsettling. <laughs> this, and on this side of the resurrection, God's presence will always be a little bit unsettling because we know who we are. And yet, His presence with His children is one of total knowledge, certainly, but total love as well. And this is where that will lead you. Um, look at verse 1. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Right? He says, like, hey, God, you've done it. I don't know if I like it, but you've searched me and known me. But then look at verse 23. He says, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. The first is this, like, uncertain acknowledgement. God, you've searched me, and I'm not sure if I like it, but I know you've done it. And the second is a desperate plea in light of what he knows to be true about God. He says, Lord, take all of me. Lay my heart bare before you. I am yours. And that's where we want to go. And that's where we will go as we lean, as we reflect on what Christ has done for us and who God is and how he treats his children. Amen.